Now on forward, what lies ahead for the U.S. economy and what you and yours should be thinking about doing? Zach and I talk about shootings. Is this time different? And we make summer content recommendations, including Zach's experience as a first-time author this week on forward. And we are back to talk about the changing world order. My conversation with perhaps the world's greatest investor, certainly on the top five or ten list, Ray Dalio. What the heck this book actually means. Wow. Did I find interviewing Ray Dalio to be edifying and fascinating. Uh, and for those of you who missed it, you can check that out or you can check out the YouTube video uh, that summarizes his new book, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Or if you're like me and you want to inhale a 430 page book, you can buy Ray's book. But uh, I came away from this interview with like my, my worldview having changed. All right, we were talking about this before we started recording is that if you're a billionaire and like a very successful, well-known billionaire, right? There's no real point in writing a book from a money or status prestige situation. So the only reason he's writing it is because he's got something to say. And I feel like if you got a guy like that who's pretty wise, you should probably listen, you know. And given what I've taken away from the book and the podcast, yeah, listen up, y'all. Well, he, well he, he, crazy. he felt like a real-life oracle because check it out. Bounds, the world's biggest hedge fund, yep. that now has over $200 billion under management. I mean, that's literally so like nation-state scale stuff. Personally worth 20-plus billion dollars. Uh, and it did all this without, frankly, any notoriety. Uh, you know, it's like he, he does not need the spotlight, to your point. Yeah. And he talks several times in his book about how it's like, hey, some people aren't going to like this, but, you know, I, I think it's important to share. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he knows, frankly, how uh, polarizing everything is and, 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 and the rest of it. But his points his big points were that there are three mega cycles that the u.s is going through uh and unfortunately all three of them bode ill for our relatively near future uh and he talks about this as a world-class investor who's like look sometimes the time horizon is longer than your lifetime but the things can happen in your lifetime so you have to understand them um, mm. And he talks about how early in his career, the, the U.S. dollar got devalued when they left the gold standard. And right. he was like, okay, that's new. So that was in the early 70s. And he's very, very concerned that we're doing it again, mm -hmm. that we're going through a, a massive de devaluation. What's interesting is listening to him talk, I heard many, many crypto enthusiasts talking as well. Because there are a lot of folks who are into crypto who are like, hey, they're debasing the dollar. They're debasing the dollar. Right. And uh, one of the things that, Ray talks about is that since 1700, 75% of the currencies that were in effect uh, over that time have ceased to exist. That typically a currency goes through this grand arc, and then eventually the currency either stops existing because it, it doesn't work anymore, or it's been greatly devalued. So he says that 25% of the currencies that are still in effect have been greatly devalued, but three out of four of them just don't exist anymore. Well, that's terrifying. And, and so he talks about the, the six-part cycle of, uh, it's like the mega credit cycle. It takes 50 to 75 years. And, and one of the things that when I was running for president, this reminded me of, is that back in Sumerian times, uh, you, you know this uh, word jubilee, jubilation, jubilee? Yeah. 
so that originated ultimate happiness was it mean ultimate well, celebration well well that originated as a giant debt forgiveness festival ah. that that happened in like ancient times mm -hmm. where the cycle of things that happened was that people started borrowing money and then borrowing money and then they borrowed too much money and then they showed up uh, to the king and started rioting being like hey we owe too much money and then the king would come out and say i forgive all the debts and they would have a giant party that's what the jubilee was so, <laughs> so th this goes really? back, yeah this goes back to ancient times where the 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 cycle is that a currency starts out as a hard currency mm -hmm. where back in the day it might have been gold it might have been you know pieces of food i mean yep. like they're different things and then eventually you end up with notes that are against the gold uh, because gold's inconvenient to actually right. trade in coins and whatnot and then eventually it becomes fiat currency which is where we went to when we switched off the gold standard where the government has the ability to print it and then when you have the ability to print it you always print too much mm -hmm. and then it starts getting debased uh, and so if you're a small country and it gets debased and sometimes things spiral out of control and then you wind up having to reset which is the last part of the cycle you have runs on banks and then the government has to be like okay okay you know this currency that's losing value that's not it anymore. <laughs> we're, we're going back to a hard currency. The gold standard. And you can trust it because this time we're backing it up with something real. And then everyone's like, okay, okay. So the, the issue with the U.S. right now is that no one knows where this particular cycle ends because you can't leave the dollar. And so this is one of the arguments he makes in his book that also blew my mind was like, look, he goes through the world's currencies and is like, you know, the EU, like, too small and weak. Uh, the renminbi, like, uh, you know, China has these weird currency controls. The yen, like, no one cares. Like, the, the buttons, like, there is no other global reserve currency candidate that makes any sense. Uh, and so the U.S. is like, well, what are you going to do? Like, got to use a dollar because right. there's no place else to go. And, and this, in a way, to me, was the uh, genesis of crypto where people are casting about for an alternative to the dollar and then you know wound up with Bitcoin, which starts out as essentially a digital version of gold. The other big alternative is gold itself, yep. uh, which Ray owns at least some gold. So yep. that certainly made me think like, huh, listening to him talk, I was like, shit They're and like you know like gold actually has like a more appealing case based on the conversation uh, <laughs> so, so one of the issues with crypto unfortunately is that it, it's not clear whether it is truly uh hedging against currency risk um because it seems right now to correlate more with certain other assets frankly uh that then risky it, assets yeah. yeah yeah like risky assets than it does like a basket of currencies mm -hmm. so the the multi-trillion dollar question is what happens when you have a, a U.S. dollar global reserve currency that uh, is being overproduced, shall we say, like, you know, that we're right. printing a lot of it, um, and but you don't have any place to go. So the argument that Ray makes is that capital will find a place to go, that, it, it, like, it's not obvious that there's another currency, but that you will, it will leave the dollar if people sense the dollar is losing value. What? happened to uh, modern monetary theory or some of the stuff we talked about in the campaign where as long as the federal government u.s government is strong and pays its debt and we can pretty much just it's not real uh but we can just kind of have as much as we want uh but I'm, I'm blatantly oversimplifying modern monetary theory but your thoughts on that now and is that no longer the case were we wrong like what's 
Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? So Ray's case is that you're looking at historical examples over and over again, uh, and they always end up playing out similarly, right. uh, which would frankly contradict modern monetary yeah. theory. Um, if modern monetary theory does hold, then you know we're in a yeah, whole new era. Yeah. Um, but he makes a very, very convincing historical case that we've seen this movie before, mm -hmm. and that there were two major global reserve currencies before us. Uh, the pound, when the UK owned 25% of the world and was running around <laughs> that, that, that empire, uh, which pre preceded ours immediately, and then before this, that, that I didn't know this, but apparently the Dutch guilder was the global reserve currency for a while when like the Dutch traders ran everything. Got it. Uh, so his, his argument is that, you know, that, that we're, we're going to go through some, and the, the scenarios he plays out, frankly, are very, very difficult and dark. But th this does go back to the central political question of the time, which is what the heck do you do about inflation? Right. Joe Biden recently announced his plan to combat inflation in an op-ed that was vastly panned, honestly, um, be, because uh, he, he was in some ways pushing responsibility onto other actors, which in a way is totally legitimate because there, there may be real limits to what he can do, but uh, that's not exactly the plan people want to hear where no. it's like, you know, uh, you, you want um, something that the person can actually execute on. Um, so the two other major players in this scenario are Congress and the Fed, the Fed yeah. and they may have more power over what happens uh, in terms of inflation than anything Joe Biden can do, though no one wants to necessarily hear that. It's so funny how we, I can even say the difference between when he ran for mayor, when he ran for president in terms of how many people care about the president and they're so passionate and they identify with the president as a role and, you know, it's the, the running joke, blame Obama or blame whoever you want, right, for various problems. But the reality is, and we live it and, and seen it right now, is the president has only a few levers to pull and the reality is they're pretty subject to macroeconomic forces, our economy in general, and what Congress can or can't or won't do. And what's your outlook on uh, both inflation and our economy in general? We're, we're heading, I'm assuming we're heading towards a recession if we're, I guess we're in it right now. Uh, how, um, I think you're, it sounds like you're saying this gets worse before it gets better. How worse, how much worse does it get? I've now spoken to uh, a number of leading investors. Uh, so David Rubenstein was on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray is obviously in, in this category, uh, and I've talked to some other figures who maybe aren't quite as prominent or famous. The, the theme they keep pointing out is, uh, look, you're going to have to raise interest rates in order for um, inflation to come down at all. And if you do raise interest rates, which have been, have been anomalously low for an extended period of time uh, in a way that's essentially unique in, in right. modern history, um, if you raise interest rates significantly, the current stock market valuations do not make any sense because they're getting discounted forward uh, with like a very, very low time value of money. So if you mm -hmm. jack up the time value of money, then a lot of uh, tech companies' valuations don't make sense. A, lo a lot of growth companies' valuations don't make sense. So you wind up with a stock market correction of a very, very significant nature. Uh, and then you wind up with a recession of some kind. Mm -hmm. And I do not see any way out of this. I think we're going to end up with a very significant recession um, and the adjustments are going to be deeply, deeply painful. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. 
I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm gonna do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. For at least from my perspective and what I'm studying, uh, my limited amount of study from learning on Wall Street, is that those guys like the Warren Buffetts and the Ray Dalios of the world, they don't seem that their timing is sometimes wrong, but over time they're at least from what I've seen, they're never really wrong. Because <laughs> always there's some greedy investor, like things are changing, this is different, you don't know, understand Amazon, and like you can value it X, Y, Z, and then eventually it all comes back down to earth, and then you're Ray Dalio of the world, you're like, I told you so. I guess my real question is, I, I don't think I got an answer from you, like modern monetary theory or like Ray Dalio's right, if you're looking at these two camps. Like I, I'm assuming you're on the side of Ray's probably right, and this, the currencies are... Uh, we're going to have a currency well, I, issue I, pretty soon. I will say that Ray makes a very, very compelling case based upon <laughs> uh, ba based upon not decades, but centuries of history. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like he what, goes yeah. way back. And so imagine this, too. Imagine that you ran a $200 billion hedge fund. He literally has an army of researchers who can pull up just about anything. You know, so th this book is literally like 400, you know, um, yeah, like uh, 50 pages or, or something along those lines. Did Ray Dalio sit there and write 450 pages? Of course not. Like right. it, it's filled with uh, data sets and tables. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because he has like a like an army of people being like, "Hey, I'm going to pull up." Crank out a report here. Yeah, I'm going to pull up a report on the Dutch Gilder or whatever. And you can see how <laughs> it like relates to gold. Got it. Um, you know, so so there, there's so much data in here that. If you respect data at all, you look at this and you're like, well, like it's essentially inarguable. <laughs> <It is>. <laughs> like, like if, if yeah, you, it. you know, I mean, it's like a 450 page uh, argument that's documented back hundreds of years. So it's it's very hard to look at this and be like, yeah, that this guy's, you know, somehow uh, barking at the wind. You know, like it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's hard to compute that. It's one of the things where I, you know, like theoretically anybody can invest in the stock market, right? You and I, Zach, Joe Schmuck can buy apple and buys things and try and play the game and be a smart investor but the difference that these the, in, the inherent advantages that these institutional investors have like we can the average investor the average person cannot wrap their mind around and what i mean by that like, i remember talk because i used to talk to research analysts all the time for example i think it was apollo or, or sorry it was blackrock or one of the big private equity shops and they were like blackstone um, and they were like 
you know, the reason people think they know where the market's going and this, that, and the other thing. We know where the market is right now because we know how many sandwiches Subway sold yesterday. Like, we know this real-time data of what's going on. We know how many packages of X that Amazon has sold, whatever it is. And that's data that either the average human doesn't have or doesn't have the manpower to actually, like, sift through. So usually these, like, re- like these investors that stood the test of time and they're looking at the numbers, they're usually uh, directionally accurate, you know? So one of the things that came out just the last several days was that uh, Elon Musk said there's something very, very bad brewing in the economy. Uh, Jamie Dimon says that there is a hurricane coming. You should brace yourself. We just don't know what size the hurricane is. Uh, And then Joe Biden got asked about this and then said, uh, well, Intel's hiring, um, Ford's hiring, uh, you know, economy's strong, economy's good, fundamentals are good, et cetera. And, and one of the major problems we have in American life today is that everyone needs to talk up their case. It's mm. like because there are so many people right now that are in the administration or around the administration who are essentially making like a bullish case for various things. And you can point to various measurements and say, oh, job growth's up. Like, you know, there, there are different things that are mm-hmm. happening. I mean, right now, essentially like 70% of Americans are not pleased with the direction because right. they just look at the price of gas and then that, yes, that's like, uh, you yeah. know, like that's Inflation day-to-day and life and it's, it's tough. Um, but you have different people whose interests, and the thing is like if, like, you know, I, like I were Joe Biden, like you do have to make a positive case. For because sure. You're like, you know, and, and the rest of it. So that, that, that's one of like the, the struggles is like you, you like we've essentially politicized what's going on in the economy. Yes. Uh, and Derek Thompson, when I, I interviewed him, talked about how like your perception of the economy is actually very much partisan. Yep. Uh, it just depends on how you feel about who's in office. So the people who don't like uh, Joe Biden, the Democrats think the economy is super terrible. And then, and then you know, uh, Joe and the Democrats will talk about how uh, there are some bright spots. I, so one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is like for the folks who listen to me, uh, like Andrew Yang thinks that there are some very, very, very ominous dark clouds and weaknesses coming uh, on a scale that uh, we have not seen in quite some time. And so please do act accordingly. Like, you know, like if you uh, have assets out there that, you know, you feel like, uh, frankly, are kind of at risk or things that you might want, you might need over like, you know, some uh, period of, of weeks or months. Like I personally would say, you know, you might want to, like bring those assets in, uh, do Get something diverse. Uh, yeah. Because I I think that if you hear Ray Dalio and Jamie Dimon uh, and, and Elon all say something like to me, it's like and by the way, like my intuition is also very much heading in that direction. Right. Um, that and this isn't a partisan thing. This is just like I think this is I think shit's gonna get nasty. I think yeah. like really dark and nasty. In the spirit of more positive news, Ray also talks about in his book. Essentially, a thirty percent chance of a civil war or civil unrest in the United States. He said States. civil war. He said civil war. Yeah. yeah. Um, stage six is what he calls it. Jesus. That um, we're in stage five of six. And was it tied to the economy or just simply because of polarization and this changing world order? So just like there's a mega credit cycle that has six stages. Apparently, there's uh, an internal order disorder cycle that has six stages. And it's tied to public use of resources. So there's a peace and prosperity phase in stage three. And then stage four involves um, excess debt and unproductive use of resources. Uh, Stage five, which we're in right now, is called the decline, where you have internal conflicts and debt problems. And then stage six is uh, civil war 
slash uh, unrest. And during my interview with him, I said to him, it's like, hey, Ray, you said in your book, 30% chance. I mean, that's staggeringly high. And he was like, oh, it's higher now. Oh, God. Uh, because he wrote this probably, you know, 12, 18 months ago. And th th this is also a mega cycle that takes, like, you know, a number of decades. Mm -hmm. He talked about what you would need to counteract it. He said that there are two types of outcomes. The more likely outcome is a uh, nasty populist uh, type uh, strongman figure. And then the benign case is what he called the strong peacemaker. But when he looked throughout history, he found very few examples of the strong peacemaker. More nasty populist. That it, you're more likely right. to wind up with the nasty populist. And he, he made this very dramatic argument that I thought was incredibly important, um, which is that we need to reform capitalism because it's not working for the bottom 60% of Americans. And he, he said this publicly when I was running for president. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, like Dalio's on board with something dramatic, which he is. Um, and he recommends that you have essentially a bipartisan Manhattan Project trying to fix the economy so that it works for the bottom 60% uh, uh, of Americans. Uh, and he thought it was an open question whether the path to get there is that somehow the two parties get their shit together and start collaborating and do something bipartisan, which we all know is highly unlikely, and we yeah. can talk about that, or that there's a political realignment, which is what the forward party and I are trying to make happen. Right. But that this is the, the other, the second of the, the two mega cycles, which also says something very, very pessimistic. And the, his diagnosis of it was very familiar to anyone who's watching, where he's like, polarization, record highs, uh, trust in institutions, well, record there, yeah. lows, like, you know, like everything gets politicized, uh, people don't know what the truth is, et cetera, et cetera. So great challenges in terms of the internal order disorder cycle. Man. And then the third mega cycle is the rise in, and rivalry of different great powers. And so in his view, the U.S. is in relative decline and China is ascending uh, and that there's going to be increased friction between those two powers. This book is a bit terrifying, Andrew. De-risk all your assets, buy a bunker. Uh, or at least, you know, yeah, just, just br bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. <laughs> like, just prepare be, you know, but, God. Or, or just, you know, yeah, like prepare for some, some some not not great things. Which, you know, if you listen to me, I mean, you know, like I'm... We've been saying shit like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been on this page. You know, I'm still optimistic and can do, uh, which, you know, I want people to be. Um, but also have a clear-eyed view. You know, like there, there are times when... You know, you, you want to take risks in time when you want to take a bit less yeah. risk. And I'd say this is probably going to be one of the latter. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device, 
you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. Well, it's one of the things I think most people are frustrated, and I'm personally frustrated, where you see all this stuff happening, like it's all declining, it's all going this, and then you feel like you can't do anything. That's probably a good way to segue into, I want to talk about some of these sh- the shootings that are happening. We haven't, been, we haven't had the chance to talk about it on the podcast yet, where it's, I mean, it's been going on for ages, but uh, the most recent ones, tragic shooting in Buffalo, and then an even worse one in an elementary school in Texas, which seems awful. And now it seems since then, we have another shooting every day um or multiple per day do you mind breaking this down the answer to this question andrew is that and like a real answer like an andrew yang answer not like oh because congress is polarized i'd be like break this down like we all are generally agreed that this is terrible yet nothing ever gets done like we don't change it and like someone be like it's the nra it's the republicans it's special interest it's it but like can you break that down for me well, I, I, I do think the political incentives are very clear and, yeah. and very stark. Where there was a Republican member of Congress represented Buffalo's in Buffalo yeah. district. Chris, and um, he came out against... Chris Jacobs. Chris Jacobs. He came out against assault weapons, which, by the way, frankly, if people get killed by an assault weapon in your district, I, I would say... Pretty rational like a, move. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, very human-type stance. Uh, and then took so much heat and abuse... Uh, uh, and outrage that he said, hey, I'm not running for Congress, uh, which he was planning to do. So do you think other Republican members of Congress saw that? Of course. They yeah. saw that and were like, well, I guess that's what happened. And again, this person represented the community directly. Yes. So if, if you represent another district and you raise your hand and say, hey, I also think that we should look at banning uh, certain types of weapons yeah. that right now are, are legal. What do you think is going to happen to you? Probably he, the same or worse as happened to uh, Congressman Jacobs. And he was essentially told, like, hey, you go out against this, we're going to outflank you from the right, we're going to run against you on the platform that you're weak on guns. And he said, I mean, he said a number of things publicly, but the big one's like, there's going to be tens of millions of dollars pumped into my community talking about why we need AR-15s or assault you know, weapons or whatever the heck I'm arguing against. I know that's divisive and awful and not what the community needs, so I'm going to resign. Is that, I mean, that's essentially... That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. I got a call from someone who uh, works in Los Angeles. They said that they were getting calls as to what they could do to help, and they said the single biggest move you could make that might help make Congress responsive to this or anything else would be to shift to open primaries. Because if you have a closed party primary like Congressman Jacobs goes through, then he looks at it and says, hey, I'm either going to lose or this is going to be terrible. There's no way in which this primary does not become terrible, so Mm -hmm. I am going to resign. If you had it so that everyone in his district votes on his reelection. Yep. What percentage of people in Buffalo right now are open to a, to a move like that? You know, I'm going to suggest it's a lot like, it's, more than, it's, yeah, it's probably pretty high. It's certainly much higher than the proportion of the, the Republican primary electorate mm-hmm. in Buffalo. Uh, and so the, this person who called me made the case, which I agree with, is that, look, if there's one thing you want to change, 
it's the primary, uh, the party primary system. Yes. Uh, and so this person then is directing resources to try and shift to open primaries. So that look at like that's actually the answer. And by the way, what I'm saying right now doesn't apply just to this issue. It applies to just about any very very fraught or divisive um, issue in the country where you're going to have some people who are very very passionate on one end or the other mm -hmm. uh, and then most people will look at it and say hey there probably is some reasonable middle ground that most of us would like to land on uh, but we're never going to get there because a lot of people will lose their job if they compromise and so there is no compromise I, like that this is the fundamental argument of the forward party which is look politicians will do whatever their incentives are and so if their incentives are to stay in their corner and say, hey, no, you know, I'm not going to do anything because if I do something, I lose my job like this congressman just did, yep. then guess what? They're not going to do anything. Right. And so like all of the frustration, passion, anger, sadness should be directed towards shifting to open primaries, because if there's no change in incentives then there's no reason why we're going to see different responses now than we saw after any other of a number of episodes. So right now you have. House Democrats can get a bill through, but the Senate can't because they need it's 50 50 in the Senate with Kamala Harris as a tying vote. But you need 60 senators to get it to get something to vote through the filibuster. Through the filibuster. So that's your issue, right? There's not. And there, you know, there are Republican senators who are on board with this a bit. So they're trying to find something to compromise on. President Biden has suggested banning assault weapons, raising the age to 21, background checks, storage laws and red flag laws, holding manufacturers accountable, which is probably the toughest one to actually execute. And then the mental health crisis actually may, actually that's maybe that's the toughest one to execute on because that's so dynamic. But let's just say we could pass laws that would work here. What would work? I'm curious your perspective on the actual policies. Um, I think raising the age limit makes a world of sense. Yep. I think that 18 year olds brains are at a particular moment and uh, it's different than a 21-year-old's brains. Yep. Uh, and by the way, what are what is like one consistent fact pattern that we're concerned about? School shooters. You yes. know, like, uh, and so, That's the big one. Yeah. And so is someone who's literally a junior or senior in high school, you know, more prone to go to that school? Obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that seems like something, one of the things I'm discouraged by is apparently what strikes me as a very reasonable move of just a, three years for owning an automatic weapon it seems like republicans don't like that move right even though that move strikes me as like right in the heart of okay that would actually make a difference this is a clear example of where if you had a rational political system uh where people could come together and say look we can agree on some common sense measures and let, let's land here and draw this line and you know people would look at that and say okay right like that that that's reasonable that's not the system we have i mean the the question now is what can you get 10 Republican senators to agree on? And we're going to find out. At least when I was growing up, like these debates on the polarizing issues used to be really interesting. You could debate like the policies and what will work. And like, we, like oh, the gun dude, control debate is fascinating. One, one of the major things now is that people are just like, it doesn't fucking matter. That's the thing. nothing is going to pass. It doesn't matter. No point in debating what would the best effective gun control be. But, the, but this is the argument I'm making too is like that people are waking up mm. uh, to the fact that this system's totally dysfunctional. And our agreements or disagreements are increasingly irrelevant in mm -hmm. the face of uh, what we're seeing. And, and so, so this is, by the way, I think this is going to bite the Democrats in the ass in, in November, which I guess everyone knows. When there's a failure in something, and so the, the one that uh, you know, was top of mind until very recently was 
uh, women's reproductive rights and Roe v. Wade being overturned. Yeah. Uh, and a woman said to me that, like, you did not see this firestorm of protest among certain groups, certain communities, frankly, like a, a lot of um, suburban women, where the Democrats would look up and say, okay, it's go time. Like, let, let's go fight for uh, women's reproductive rights. And they did not see a giant influx of donations. They did not see an influx of uh, support or activism. And I talked to some people who were within this community, and they're, they're just ticked off at the Democrats for mismanaging this, botching it, getting played, uh, etc. And so when these things are happening, when the Democrats are raising their hands and say, it's time to fight for this and that, like more and more people are just being like, you can't do it. The system is broken. There's nothing that can be done, which, by the way, is a case that I have been making uh, via the forward party for yes. a while. But that like that this is materializing in front of us. And I'm going to cautiously say that the fact that people are waking up to the realities uh, of our dysfunctional political system may be a good thing. That's our silver lining right there. Yeah, that that like and one of the arguments I'm making, too, is like, look, you're being played. You're being manipulated. Yes. Like 14 billion dollars went into uh, both parties over the last cycle, essentially pissing us off at each other. And like, you know, and by the way, you know how much got spent in opposition? Essentially all 14 billion. It was like mm -hmm. almost 7 billion on one side and 7 billion on the other. So you have these waves of resources uh, and where does it go? Essentially nowhere. Yep. Uh, and so then when someone gets up and says like, hey, like this stuff is going poorly. Like, you know, we need more, more and more people are like, no, like, mm -hmm. the, like this stuff is not working. Like yep. the, the system is not going to result in anything positive. And that's savvy. So the argument I'm making is, look, if you have 14 billion being spent within the system that's leading us nowhere good, how much should actually be spent on reforming the system? Yeah. If you had to put a dollar figure on it, and I'm going to suggest that number is in the billions. Yep. And so if you have, if you had like the equivalent of a multi-billion dollar and also giant popular movement towards trying to reform the system, that's actually the answer yes. for a lot of the problems I'm describing right now. Whether it's poverty and inflation, whether it's guns, uh, whether it's uh, social issues, I mean, yep. you, you name it. Because most of us actually are willing to look at it and be like, okay, look, I'm, I'm, like, I'm on one side, you're on the other side, like, let, let's compromise on something that we can all be a little unhappy with and, and go from there. But that's not what the system is producing. That's probably the silver lining word. I'm, I'm a big believer that elections are about macro issues and usually not micro issues, unless your micro issue is really, really bad to the point where it becomes a macro issue. Like if you're seeing the world crumbling, if you will, the country crumbling and just straight up no action, then you begin to say, well, it's probably it it's becomes a little more obvious to the casual observer that it's a system problem. And yeah. that is probably good for the forward party. And uh, what the, the and, challenge and is genuine structural reform. Yes. And it'll be good. It's the, one of the things I love about the forward party is that it'll there theoretically will be someone and multiple someone's to do kind of what you did in the presidential was like, raise your hand, like, Hey, it's actually the system that's busted here. And it's like what you're two talking about. Like it's stupid on both sides and it actually doesn't matter. And you're right. That's the other thing. The truth usually will, will scale here um, because you're right. And over time, like this will, this is already panning out. will continue to pan out because we have a school shooting everybody's pissed off and heartbroken and and just angry and then nothing gets done you saw it with george floyd we saw it with Roe v. wade we saw it with the school shooting we're gonna see it with climate change we're gonna see it with wall street being corrupt in 2008 where ceos get paid and no one goes to jail like you go down the list people are angry about something another happens 
eventually I think they'll get fed up. I think two things can happen. You either get fed up or you get it or you ignore it. Well, well, one of the things I'd say is like if people who take a step back and check out on this stuff, like I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's like why would you willingly allow yourself to be upset all the time? Yeah. You know, I spent some time with um, some family over Memorial Day weekend and the husband and wife were in two different camps. One was like radicalized to one side. I'll just ignore it so they don't, I don't share their belief. But they're one side where they, you know, the other party was evil and this is what I'm passionate about. I got really, really passionate. And then the other side, in this case, the husband was just tuned out. Just anytime his wife brought it up, he's like walking out of the room. I'm not talking politics. And that, to me, was like America in a nutshell, in a way. Like we've either become really, really angry about something and we've tried to help or we're just like, F this. I'm going to go down my own and do my own thing and not care about it. And you could argue both are, are somewhat... Uh, equally destructive in a way. Where, well, what, you know, one of the arguments I made months ago, which I still believe, is that we are slumping towards autocracy. Mm. You tweet that? That's fun. Uh, I, I slumping. Said it, tell me what you mean by that. Just, or, well, it, it's, it's just that uh, we're trending towards authoritarianism, and then when someone tries to be like, hey, you know, no, get up and fight like this, everyone will be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, like that. That's, uh, that's the general direction we're heading. We had this learning when we were running for president where, um, you know, Trump was such a good example of this, but it was what you call the post-inspirational America where Obama ran on hope and change. People are so passionate, so idealistic about what we could do. And then he could only do what he could in this busted system uh, and to the point where, like, the platitudes were just worthless. Like, you could say, we're going to, you know, we're going to change I, the I world. I will say this inspire. as someone who did vote for Obama. Yeah. When I see him show up in my Netflix queue, I'm like actively discouraged or whatever. Yeah. I'm just like, this is where we are now. <laughs> like, you mean him as a Hollywood producer? Oh, you know, so he just shows up and like, you know, he's he's like. Uh, he's a mythical figure at this point. To me. Well, you know, but, you know, he, he's getting. And, and th this is maybe my biggest beef with Obama. Is what? Is that like he truly was president as cultural figure. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's still a cultural figure. But I'm not sure that's what we need right now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, what can, I mean, if you're Obama, like, what like, can you like do? we don't need good content, is what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, we don't, it's like, like, we'll, and, and this is, but you know, I, I mean, like, you know, like, I, I really did like uh, American Factory. Like, I liked, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 but, but it's like, you know, the, the, that shit will not set us free at this point. I mean, you have like, you know, uh, you have the system that's just freaking, overrun with uh, cash mm -hmm. in various ways and and then the cash is made by inflaming us and in, in, in uh, various directions and so being a practical sort I'm like okay you know what we need we need cash that rewards <laughs> logical thinking <laughs> yeah yeah like you know like depolarizing yeah. messages and behaviors and that and the rest of it and which you know maybe maybe that, that's no what I, I think if you're I was at this if I was a billionaire right now I would spend it sounds dark, but I probably would look to buy the system out for good, which obviously, who am I to say that? But you look to go kind of what Bloomberg tried to do, because the only way to do is pour money into like the, the broken system. So it's democracy reform or you're just straight up buying senators and congressmen and women who are oh, on I, board. Oh, with I, I, I propose a legislator uh, liberation fund. <laughs> which is which is that we will buy you out yeah, of your yeah. contract with the major party. Like, what did you spend in the last cycle? Twenty Done. million. Yes. We will give you that plus fifty percent, so yep. thirty million dollars. 
to join this to be a rational human being yeah yeah to, to be an independent essentially yes. you could just go down the line and buy i actually believe it or not everyone i priced this out like you, you could, it, a couple billion um it's less you know it's not even that much like you don't need you, that many senators could, yeah you you could buy out four u.s senators from their contracts with their um with their parties for less than 200 million i'm assuming you're making this pitch <laughs> is, is, is this a real pitch? Yeah, this is a real pitch. This should be a pitch. Uh, it's a good pitch. Okay, so I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I talked to someone who used to be very, very senior at the World Bank, and I was at uh, my former job on Wall Street, and she asked uh, all of the our big clients at like a small dinner we were having, like if you could had all the money in the world to solve a social problem, what would you do? And people were like education, this, and and then I flipped on her. I'm like, what would you do? And she said, I would get it in cash and use it to pay off the bribe people for good. Because she's like most of the world's problem. This is a bigger problem internationally, but it's a big problem in the United States too, where it's just it's all about the money. So it's, it goes like the decisions that are made, whether they help people or hurt people, are made frankly for the highest bidder. And we learned that when we ran. It's like, it, don't quit, kid yourself. It's all money game. It's all money game. So I, I um, want to try and unlock a critical mass of resources to do what I'm describing. Yeah, it's good fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, we're it's a worthy fight for yeah, sure. I mean, we're we're you know we're 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 in the like seven figures. So you know, like you're cranking. Uh, yeah, our party's cranking. And you're so, and the other thing is, you guys will unlock other. Like they may be like, oh, I don't know about the forward party, but I do believe in the ideas. So here's a forward party competitor or whatever. Like I'm sure you'll see that nonsense too. But that's good. You normalize what you're talking about. Ideally, we all line up. But well, you know, I, I mean, I see. Like you said, if you were a billionaire, let's say Andrew Yang was a billionaire, right. uh, which, which by the way, everyone knows. I mean, it's like laughable. The According to the press, you were for yes, a little bit. That would be great stuff. But like, would I fund a, a legislative liberation fund? Sure. You know, would yeah. I? Would I go around and you could do a lot of good in this direction? And one of my frustrations with a couple of people who've tiptoed in this direction. So here are these people: Ross Perot. Howard Schultz, Mike Bloomberg, where they, when they did their thing, they didn't then turn around and invest in the deep structural reform. Um, they and, left pissed off. Yeah, and it's like, look, the process sucks. Get it. I've, I've actually been through versions of it. Um, but let's do the entrepreneur thing and, like, build the uh, alternative and, like, build the, the counter set of incentives. And, you know, there, there hasn't been that appetite, but the appetite's returning because everyone sees how screwed up the current system is. Yeah. Um, so that that's, uh, you know, again, we, we earlier in this conversation said, look, $14 billion got spent within the system. How much is getting spent to reform the system? Yeah. You know, if, if we spent a billion dollars trying to reform the system, we'd do a ton of good. Yep. It, so AOC, I think it was on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter. I don't know if she did it on like Instagram Live or something. But I don't always agree with her on a lot of things. But she said something that resonated with me. She said it's really, really difficult to operate in a system that's fundamentally corrupt. And it's one of the things you notice too. She's like, I could go into Congress and I'm not going to do shit. Because yeah. And then I, I just get yeah. reduced to like a freaking off-Broadway theater <laughs> performer, which is what you know, like like most of them become. Um, but this is also an argument that really fueled the the origin of the forward party is that, uh, Ezra Klein said, toxic systems compromise good individuals with ease. Yeah, and, and with he was, ease. And he was making that argument. Like, it, it, it's a toxic system. Yes. Like, you, we got to clean the system up. One, one of the fascinating elements is, like, you know, we got to, you know, we're going to need money to clean the system up. So, like, I'm trying to get righteous money, which is fun. And, and yeah. there actually are people who I, I believe fall in this, this category, including... You know, people are listening to this who've given us 10 bucks. I mean, that's righteous money. We're righteous money. Gra- grassroots, 
dollars are usually that's the most righteous. Yeah, but I will say to you all, because no one feels like it's my, you know, I don't know. I I will say to you all though, we're we're gonna need a combination of like grassroots and some other stuff. Yeah, you need more than because that's the thing. Let's call Bernie the king of grassroots funding, right? What's he raised over all the elections? Two hundred million, all in maybe. Probably being. I'm probably oh, and this is another thing. One of my one, one of my more controversial tweets or whatever. I was like, Bernie should have started a third party, which I, by the way, totally agree, believe. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there were a lot of people who were part of the Bernie movement who wanted him to. Yes. And I don't know why he didn't, um, but he would have had a shot at it. So we're going to close this. Uh, convo on an uplifting note. So, Zach, how has it been being a published author over the last couple of weeks? That's not bad, man. I will say, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. Like, books are an interesting thing to be selling. I think I've met a lot of first-time authors, and I worked with you very closely when you were a second-time author and pretty closely when you were a third, your third author. But I would say a lot of people, a lot of authors have that ambition that they're going to sell lots of books and I'll light the world on fire and be a New York Times bestseller. I had none of those, those ambitions. I will say for those of you who have um, a lot of you have reached out both to me personally or on social media saying I read the book. And I love it. That's been nice to, to hear. It's a great book. If you it's haven't fun. picked it up, everyone, long shot, how political nobody's made Andrew Yang president of the United States. It's uh, more it's uplifting. <laughs> it's more uplifting than Ray's book, it sounds like. Uh, it, uh, but I didn't have a research team. It, <laughs> I do that it, shit myself. It also is more fun and readable and cinematic than my book. So That's true. It's more of a narrative. We're trying to we're trying to make a movie out of it in a way. Yeah. Um, so, so if you want to see essentially like a movie screenplay about like the uh, Madcap Yang campaign, um, check out Longshot. And as someone who's written a few books, the the frame I put myself in after the first book was like, look, as long as like you are happy with what you produced and that people you respect. Uh, say to you like, "Hey, good job." Then you're golden. Yeah, like that, that's pretty and much I felt like that. golden. Yeah, the people who have read it that I like and trust are like, "I really enjoyed this." Like, and they'll say like, "Look, I would tell you, but I enjoyed it." That's good. So on so this topic, fun. yeah, it is now the beginning of summer, and uh, what content recommendations? Summer do you have? content recs. Yeah, I have some. I just finished the first part of season four of Stranger Things. I got. I'm a. You watch Stranger Things? Yes. I fucking love Stranger Things. I think it's well done. And I didn't love this season the whole time. That was a little dramatic. And then they. I thought they ended. You watched the newest one? I thought they ended it really well. And they closed a bunch of loop. A lot of not all of them. A lot of loopholes from the first season. Like kind of stuff you've been having throughout. So I'm going to loved it. Match your Stranger Things and raise you with The Boys season three. I haven't watched it yet. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. The I mean, Boys are good. I mean, it's, it's dark. It's, but it's messed good. up. <laughs> but it's messed up in that in that delightful that fun, boys way, hilarious way. Yeah, for those of you who haven't heard of the boys, it's on Amazon. It's about, I guess, like if you had superheroes that became, if you had real superheroes in the world of capitalism. There is a lot of capitalism critique going on. Um, it's like so, Watchmen, but a less that is less dark than Watchmen, and it's a little more realistic, right? It, I mean, it's, it's a great watch. Yeah, it's uh, good. The, really the good. boys, check it out. I'm going to go with a couple of deep cuts. For people. Throw it out there, man. All Summer right. content. Also from Amazon Prime, if you like the boys, there is an animated series called Invincible. Oh, I saw it's good? That's I saw ads a, for this. That's excellent. Oh really? It, it's really, really good. Uh all right. So also, you know, I mean, like I, I Steven Young, who I'm friends with, is like the lead voice actor in, oh, in Invincible. Fun. 
Invincible is just a great freaking cool. show. If you like the boys and you want more like that, the Invincible's in some ways almost like an animated version uh, cool. of the boys. Also on Amazon Prime, also super enjoyable. Reacher. You oh, know, like so Jack Reacher, the Jack um, Reacher. I think it's called Reacher, but it's there's a giant blonde dude now. Um, it's a Tom Cruise movie turned into a series, right? Yes. So so it's based on a series of books. Right. This show is really fun and watchable. Uh, so if you have Amazon Prime, after you get through the boys, Invincible and Reacher, uh, both really, really like high quality in my opinion. Really good watches. I've uh, I finished Ozark. It's good. Last season, really good. I love Jason. I've always liked Jason Bateman. Uh, Laura Linney's really talented. She's annoying in this show, but she's supposed to be. Brown uh, University grad. I don't know if you. Is she really? Yeah. Nice. Uh, how, that's why. Well, one of two actors coming out of Brown. How many actors come out of Brown? Well, a lot of people come out of Brown. Really? Yeah. I know a lot of people, like you know, towns of people come out. Of Brown. I didn't know. Like, I guess you've got uh, a creative. Probably the most lane. famous uh, Emma Watson. She's a Brown grad. Yep. All right. I'm watching two things right now. I'm watching The Last Kingdom, which is on Netflix now. Which I've heard is really good. I haven't gotten into it yet. I'm going to probably get into Marvel, and that's my brother wants me to get into uh, or like the Disney Plus uh, Marvel series. So that's, uh, what is it, WandaVision and Loki and... Mixed bag, honestly. I've, Are they? I've, I've heard it's so a mixed I, bag. So I was a comic book nerd growing up, so I've seen all the Marvel stuff. Okay. And it's a mixed bag. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But on Netflix, an, another deep cut huh. that uh, I... So it's funny. It's like I was looking for stuff I could watch with uh, my my sons, and it turns out that this was too dark for them. Oh. Um, but it's called Arcane. It's based upon a video game, an animated series, and it's freaking excellent. Like it's, it's too dark it's, for the, the young beautiful. boy. Yeah, it was funny. It's like I was looking for something we could watch as a family, Got and it. then it ends up being me and Evelyn watching it. Um, but it, it's nuanced narratives, uh, great characters. Uh, Arcane. If you like that kind of thing it's kind of kind of got an anime style okay so carly my fiance is obsessed obsessed with the show gilmore girls so i've i've been begged to watch the show many many times so i've eventually caved and now i use it as like if she's mad at me i'll be like we could just watch gilmore girls right and that has earned me some points but i will say it's not bad it's actually not bad at least this usually has pretty witty dialogue i'd argue the lead actresses are pretty talented um I've watched a lot of Gilmore Girls, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if I should put, I don't know if I want to say that's that. That's feel good, man. Plus, you know. It is feel good. It's generally feel good. But it's funny because it's back, it's shot back when shows were done like in a studio and you wouldn't binge watch them, you know? Um, so it's, and it was like, you know, one hour episodes, 20 episodes a season. So there's a lot of it. I, I mean, I, I like watching that stuff because I remember, uh, not that I saw that, that you know, yeah. in real time, but uh, like it, just times were simpler at a particular point. Yeah. You know it's like I, mean? I, don't, I haven't gone back and watched the OC, but I imagine that was, was the show was that is show. associated the most in my mind with a simpler time is Friends. Oh yeah, because, because you know it's like the entire dating life in your twenties in New York City or whatever. It's like yeah. I was watching that shit when I was in college, and then I moved here, and then it was like that's what you like you imagine yeah. life's gonna be like. And it's totally not, but it's simple. Um, but it was simple, simpler times. There's your Rex, folks. Plus, yeah. both Zach and I. Get, need to get out there and see Top Gun. It's our patriotic duty. It. You got to see it. I've heard, all right, so this, I've had a number of friends be like, Top Gun's sick, Top Gun's sick. My family said Top Gun's sick. The fact, the fact that anyone could ever in the same sentence say it, top, the new Top Gun is as good, if not possibly better than the original, that may not be true, but the fact that they could say it without sounding like an idiot means it's probably pretty awesome. 
It is your patriotic duty to go out and see Top Gun, coming from a guy who has not seen it yet. But that's a fine way to close this episode. Let's get our summers on. And look, thing, things are challenging out there, but just like look outside, uh, look in your loved ones' faces. Uh, you know, the sun is shining. Life is good. Uh, so let's get out and enjoy it. Later, y'all.